Good morning, King's Arms 11.30 family and those of you joining us online. Um, most of you probably don't know who I am. I go to the 9.30 meeting. There is a select few in here who will know who I am because I am a youth leader. And now I know what you're thinking. He looks way too young. But as my dad said, don't judge a book by its cover. So I want to start off, first of all, if you're in the King's Arms youth family, stand up. I'm going to embarrass you all. Come on. Don't be sitting there. I know you're all here. I can see you. Stand up. Come on. Ezra. Come on. So you may read regularly in our press negative things about young people. I just want to say that this church is blessed with a generation of young people who love Jesus, who love each other, and whose kindness to me and to the rest of our youth team, many of whom are sat over there, is an inspiration every time we meet. So don't believe what you read. Just look at those young people. They are an inspiration, an inspirational generation of young people we have in this church. Aside from being a youth leader, I am a criminal lawyer, which means, for those of you who know what that is, nine to five, I have hair, a horsehair wig, and... My wife, very naughtily, always introduces me by saying, this is my husband, Tim. He's a criminal, pause, lawyer. Um, not cool, not cool. So, today's talk is on joy in the storm, and it bookends a talk that you, I think you've already had from Nicky Marfley, a friend of mine, on resilience through op opposition. And those two, these two talks are designed to go together. Resilience through opposition and joy in the storm. And the overarching theme is that whatever opposition you face, whatever storm you are going through, and I'm looking at that because that's not the right PowerPoint. I'm not speaking about Jonah. Already getting opposition. Um, the answer is to fix your eyes on the Father. And hopefully... You will see why that is by the end of this. Now, Nikki, I've known since I moved to Bedford. And when I moved to Bedford, one of my friends said to me, you need, really need to get to know Nikki. Those of you who heard her talk will know that she's a governor of a prison called Woodhill, one of the most top security prisons in the country. And they said, you being a criminal lawyer, you should really introduce yourself. So I did. I went over to speak to Nikki, said, hi, I'm Tim. And I wanted to encourage her. And I said to her, you know, you're, you are doing a fantastic job at Woodhill. Um, I, I went to Woodhill many years ago, and the last time that I went, totally changed, fantastic, so different to all of the other prisons that I go to. And when we met to discuss this talk, Nikki confessed that she wasn't sure whether I meant I'd visited Woodhill as an inmate <laughs> or as a lawyer, which was a great start. And she'd not said anything for the five years that I knew her, so yes. Um, so, Joy in the storm. I'm going to invite one of my great friends forward, Owen, who you will know, another youth leader, someone who has given tirelessly to our youth to do our reading. And at this point, it should come on the screen, otherwise I'm going to have to give him my notes. Don't worry. There you go, Owen. Psalm 100. <clears throat> great. All right, it says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. 
We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Amen. Now, it's commonly assumed that when we become Christians, that all of a sudden life transforms into this magical bed of roses and that we will no, won't experience any problems and life will be great. But we fast learn that suffering and difficulties don't go away. And in fact, they're often part of our journey as Christians. Scripture is full of God's promises to walk with us through storms. Coming to faith is not some kind of magical get-out-of-jail-free card that you can play and life becomes wonderful. And a great illustration of this is one of Jesus' parables, the parable of the wise and foolish builder. Now, if you don't know what a parable is, a parable is a story that Jesus would tell that had a deeper meaning. And the parable of the wise and foolish builders goes something like this. There were two builders, a wise builder and a foolish builder. And the foolish builder built a house and used as his foundation sand. The wise builder built a house and used as his foundation the rock. And when the storm came, the foolish builder's house unsurprisingly was washed away, but the wise builder's house survived the storm. And the interesting thing about that is that not so much that the wise builder survived, I think we could have all worked out that that was what was going to happen. The rock is actually a metaphor for Jesus and the Father. But the interesting thing is that the storm comes to both builders. The wise builder who builds his house on a, store, on a stone doesn't avoid the storm. The preparation for the storm and the outcome of the storm may be different, but the storm is the same. And storms can often come out of the most unexpected sets of circumstances. And that, that's my story. And storms look different to all of us. They can look like financial storm, they can look like emotional, relational, bereavement, or as it was in mine, serious illness. So seven years ago, myself and my lovely wife Sarah were living in London. We had four kids. You know, I was in a very blessed in my marriage. Sarah is an absolute gift from God. We've now been married 25 years in about a week. Um, so 18-ish at the time. Thank you. Four kids, really happy, great job. And I'd just finished a trial and I decided I'd been feeling a little bit tired and I had a, a little swelling in my neck. So I thought, I'll go and see the GP. And I managed to get one of those things that's now rarer than a unicorn, a walk-in appointment at the GP's. And I walked in explained to the GP what was the matter, and within a matter of minutes was told that I had almost certainly uh, throat neck cancer, completely out of the blue. And within a week, I had seen an oncologist and was told that, yes, I did have throat neck cancer, and it was stage three, quite, quite advanced. So I was signed up to a 12-month course of chemotherapy and radiotherapy, and that was what my next 12 months looked like. So I'm sort of standing on the brink of a terrible 12 months. And it was made worse by this one fact, 
My story is that before I became a Christian, I suffered really badly from panic attacks during the night that all involved a fear of dying. So two or three times a week, I would wake up in the night sweating, crying, just absolutely racked with fear. And Sarah, bless her, would have to talk me down and get me back to sleep two or three times a week. I make the decision to follow Jesus, gone overnight. So I'm now standing here thinking, man, that was a theoretical fear of death. I'm now actually looking death in the face. What if they come back? So Sarah and I sat down and we knew we had some decisions to make. And we made three key decisions right at the outset of the break of that storm. They were to choose to trust the Father, choose to praise the Father, and choose to give thanks to the Father. And... In doing that, what we hadn't appreciated was that unintentionally we were choosing joy. Because there were moments during that following 12 months where we would just spontaneously experience moments of joy that were supernatural. Because as you can imagine, that's not a scenario where joy is a natural emotion. You see, Sarah and I decided, and it looked like those three things, that my circumstances and our circumstances were not going to dictate the trajectory of our lives. Now, I'm not saying that's easy. It sounds great. You make those three decisions, you sail through the next 12 months. But those decisions had to be renewed daily. Every morning when we got up, choose to trust him, choose to praise him, choose to give thanks. You see, joy's not looking on the bright side It's not putting on a brave face, that thing that we English are great at, chin up, get on with it. That's not what this joy was. This was a supernatural joy that rose out of fixing our eyes on the Father, whilst in the middle of a set of circumstances that were anything but joyful. You see, what happened is, as we focused on the heavenly realms the earthly issues receded in importance. They were still there. I still had to go through that treatment. But I was looking up at the Father, and all of a sudden, these things didn't seem so important. And I know that sounds incredibly weird. I've got a potentially terminal illness, and I'm saying to you, it receded in importance. And I know some of you are probably sitting there thinking, it's all very well saying that seven years later, when clearly you're still here. But those decisions and those feelings arose at a time where I had no idea where this was going. I had no idea whether I was going to get through that treatment. And to illustrate that, three weeks before my diagnosis, a very close friend of mine at our church in London was also diagnosed with a different type of cancer. And we would chat and he would experience the same things. We would talk about this unexplainable peace and joy And what is that about? That can only come from the Father. Because I'm a natural warrior. I'm not naturally peaceful in a storm. But I have this peace. And he would have stood here and told you the same. That that was his experience. Now unfortunately, he passed away. But I know that if he were here, having spoken to him, he would be speaking to you exactly the same. He would be telling you the same things. Because what happens is, 
you get an eternal perspective. What happens to you in this life is important. If you're in pain and you're suffering, that is important and you have to live with that. But by focusing on the Father, you get an eternal perspective. And all of those promises of Scripture to walk through pain and suffering with you move from up here in your head where you know them into your heart where you believe them. So I'm just going to give four points that helped me. First, the what and why of giving praise. I have to take a drink after effect. So first, what do we do with praise? Well, it's simple in theory. We praise God in the storm. Now, when I was on the brink of this treatment, God, through someone gave me a word, and the word was, don't worry about your body, just make sure all is well with your soul. And that was a phrase that I knew I'd heard before. I wasn't sure, was it scripture? But it's actually the title of a hymn that was written in the 19th century by a man called Horatio Spafforth. And I went and looked up his story. Now, he had moved to America with his four daughters and made a fortune in America. All Christians all love Jesus. And then because of a fire in Chicago, which is where they lived, he'd lost everything. So he decided that he and his family would move back to England and start again. So he put his wife and four daughters on a boat across the Atlantic while he finished off their business arrangements, the intention being that he would join them in England. And what happened was their ship sank. And Spafford received a telegram, and in those days you paid by the word, and his wife only had enough for a very short telegram, and the telegram said, saved alone. Their four daughters had died in the flood. Now, that is a, a literal storm as well as an emotional storm that came out of nowhere. And it's at that point that Spafford, like me, had a decision to make. Do I look to the Father or do I spiral off into the natural human reaction? And what he did was he wrote this, this, the hymn, It's Well With My Soul. And the first verse says this, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And I took that as a promise from God. And we haven't got the PowerPoint, but a, a lady who now comes to the 9.30, who I didn't know at the time, who's an artist, Jules Loveland, drew me a painting just with the simple words in black on a white background, it is well with my soul. And I put it by my bed. It was the first thing I saw when I got up in the morning and the last thing I saw before I went tonight. And I knew that if I focused on that and the Father, that whatever happened, it was going to be well with my soul. And it was. So why do we praise? Well, we do it because he's our creator and our shepherd, as that psalm says. You see, God's character is not defined by our circumstances. I can stand here seven years later 
and so my circumstances are completely different. I'm cancer-free. So you go back seven years, cancer sufferer. You throw, back, throw forward seven years, cancer-free. God's character has not changed in that period. He's not good because I'm cancer-free. He's good nonetheless. He is absolutely good nonetheless. And my identity is founded in his goodness. It's not founded in whether I am ill, whether I have lost my job. Those things are painful, but they don't define me. You see, I, I took a decision that I would say, and it was really important the way around that I got it, that I was a Christian with cancer, not a cancer patient who believed in God. My faith came first. The rest did not affect that. And I would have to repeat that to myself because my identity as a child of God was the important thing. Yes, I was a cancer sufferer, but that came way down the pecking order in terms of importance. My identity comes from the fact that God made me, he's my father, and I'm his son. And focusing on that kept me grounded. And it made all of the other things a little bit easier to deal with. They were still tough. You know, anyone here who has had been through chemotherapy and radiotherapy or knows someone who has will tell you they are terrible. You know, my body was wasting away in front of me. But it never touched my soul because I was focused on the one who was way more powerful than cancer. Cancer will never win because Jesus won the victory on the cross. The what and the why of giving thanks. So what do we do? We come, as this psalm says, we come into his presence with thanks and praise. The psalm says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Even in the fiercest of storms, there is always something, however small, to be thankful for. And I made a conscious decision every day to give thanks for something. If it was waking up, if it was a big thing. And my journey was punctuated with things that, and I'll tell you some of them, that you may think, well, that's only a little thing. But they were signs that I had things to give thanks for. So I was given a great big bag of painkillers from paracetamol through to morphine. And my prayer was, please don't let me touch that morphine. Because as a criminal lawyer, I know whatever the heart in you taking it, it's a dangerous drug. And I was able to give thanks every day that I never touched that morphine. And at the end of my treatment, I took it all back. And that's a little thing. I remember one of the things that I was really worried about was having to have a feeding tube because you can lose the use of your throat. And the problem with that is it then affects your speech and you may never recover the ability to swallow. So you will have a feeding tube permanently. And I had a set of friends praying like crazy. I don't want a feeding tube. And I never had a feeding tube. Um, and I remember... It's funny, the coincidence, and I use that word ironically, 
the times when I was really low and I would be heading to hospital and I would have to go to London Bridge, which anyone who knows London is the busiest station in Europe. Thousands of people pass through that a day and in the morning, you're literally surrounded by humanity. And the amount of times I would turn up to that station feeling really low and bump into someone from church by coincidence. And all of a sudden, I've got someone who I can offload to and I can pray with. God's kindness. And I gave thanks for that. I had three prayers at the start of treatment. Please don't let it be cancer. That prayer wasn't answered. Please don't let it be as bad as everyone's telling me. That prayer wasn't answered. Please let me survive. And that one was. Did my faith decrease because those first two prayers weren't answered? No. It just made things a little bit more difficult. I remember one of my favorite stories is I arrived at the hospital and I was heading in the lift to, to go up to the oncology area and the lift door opened and there was an 18-year-old girl who I'd been her youth leader who had got a job at the oncology unit and her seeing me, me seeing her was a beautiful moment. She'd heard uh, about my treatment, but I hadn't seen her. And we, she was able to pray for me as we got back into that lift. And to have someone who you have led through their walk with Jesus pray for you was an incredibly humbling experience. And that was God's kindness. It was another sign that whatever else I was going through, God had not deserted me. He had not. He never did. So why do we do it? Because God is good and he is merciful. Whatever your circumstances may tell you, that is the truth. As the psalm says, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. No, it doesn't say and his love endures forever except when you've got cancer. There's no qualification on that. His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And what does that faithfulness look like? When I became a Christian, my uncle was a Methodist minister and he gave me one bit of scripture and said, write this in your Bible. And I wrote it in the front of my Bible and it's been in the front of every Bible ever since. And it's Isaiah 43 and it says this, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God. And that has been in the front of every Bible. And Nikki's talk, if you remember, she told the story of a man who was in a prison cell and he was worshipping. And he wrote a piece of scripture on the wall to encourage people who would come into the cell after him. That scripture, Isaiah 43. God is always with us, whatever it feels like. Storms, fires, earthly troubles are never going to win. And the reason that they will never win is because the war's over. The victory was won when Jesus went to the cross. Yeah, we still have to go through the pain. We still have to go through the suffering. But we go through it in the knowledge that the victory's won. We have the battle underscored by the joy of an eternal victory. And that was my story. My story was joy notwithstanding my circumstances. 
Now, of course, there are going to be times when, as, as I've already alluded to, when no matter how hard you try, that joy and that peace doesn't come and anxiety starts to set in. What do we do then? Well, there's a fantastic story in the Bible of a man who was paralyzed and Jesus was preaching to a crowd and he was inside someone's house and this paralyzed man knew that if he could only get to Jesus, he would be healed. But there was no physical way for him to get in because of the weight of crowd what happens his friends took him onto the roof and they dug a hole in the roof of that building and lowered him into the presence of Jesus and he was healed and that was my story when I couldn't praise and give thanks I surrounded myself with people who would do it for me friends who would lower me into the presence of Jesus you know look around at your friends who dig a hole in a roof for you Who'd carry you up there? We all have them. And my journey was the journey of many people who walked it with me, who prayed for me, who just sent me texts encouraging me. So even if you are in a season where you're not in a storm, look around you. Who can you encourage? Who can you make sure can repeat those words it is well with my soul because we have a role to play we're family we are family sister sledge and you know we all have a role to play in helping each other get through the storm you know i had some photos that unfortunately we appear to have lost the powerpoint but people came in during chemo and if you were to see those photos they would be me my son my daughter church friends, work colleagues, and you would look at those pictures, you would never guess where they were taken. We are smiling and laughing. I knew I was surrounded by people who loved me and a father who loved me. And whatever the end result looked like, it was going to be well with my soul. I'm just going to invite the band back up, if they're still here. If they're not, I'm going to invite Katie and Marty back up. And we're going to respond to that. I appreciate that not everyone is in the midst of a storm. Some of us are. I know some of us are because I look around at some of my friends and I know that they are really battling. The time of worship this morning was so beautiful because it was all focused on Jesus and who he is and the Father and how holy he is and the fact that he never lets us go. And we're just going to spend a little bit of time reminding ourselves that wherever we are, whatever life looks like for us at the moment, there is going to come a time when, as Katie said right at the very beginning, we are going to stand before him and we are going to worship our hearts out. This life is important. The pain, the sorrow that we suffer is important. I'm not trying to minimise that. But we have the satisfaction of knowing that the victory is won. And there will come a time, as it says in Revelation, when there will be no more tears, no more mourning, no more gnashing and weeping of teeth, gnashing of teeth and weeping. And we will get to praise the Father. 